Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fontan with a Future podcast. My name is Taylor, and I'm a medical student living with a single ventricle heart. Join me as I explain Fontan physiology, explore new congenital heart disease research, and share about my experience as a patient and doctor in training. In this episode, I will be talking about nutritional research within the Fontan population, things that I like to incorporate into my diet on a daily basis, and ways you can eat to maximize your health over a lifetime. Before we begin, the information in this podcast is not medical advice. It's important to consult your physician before making medical and lifestyle decisions that may affect your health. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Fontan with the Future. I'm excited to continue in my Fontan 101 series this week and want to talk about another very important topic, which is nutrition. Now obviously, nutrition is so important for everyone, not just patients living with single ventricle. Most of the things I'm going to share today can really be applied broadly to just about anyone. We've known for a long time that what we eat or put into our bodies can have major impacts on our health long term. Many studies have found links between foods and the development of cancer, the potential weakening of our immune system, the development of coronary artery disease or cholesterol plaques in the vessels, and many more effects as well. Obviously, no one wants to experience these types of things down the road. But for patients with Fontan circulation, our bodies can be especially sensitive to these things. With so many Fontan patients now living into adulthood, it's so important to adopt good habits that will promote health and wellness long term. Now, I want to offer a small caveat before I start discussing this topic further. Dietary or nutritional research is notoriously difficult to perform. It's very hard to study certain foods or diets in people, and to control for all the variables necessary to actually get results that are meaningful and can be applied to other people. Everyone's body responds to food differently. Everyone has different caloric needs, and everyone has different activity levels and things that impact how their body processes foods. Results can certainly be confusing or conflicting. I know there's tons of foods out there that we've had back and forth information about for years and years and years. Despite all of this confusion, I do still think there are some general trends and things that we can pull from the research to apply to our lives to help us improve our health. I don't want this episode to feel like a weight loss talk or a quick fixed diet that's going to fix all of your health problems. None of these things are possible or my aim. I instead want to highlight some important ways that you can augment your normal food choices to make sure that you are supplying your body with the nutrients that will promote health for years down the road. We know that what we eat from day to day may not necessarily have a long-term impact, but our overall food habits can really shape how our body will operate in years to come. The majority of the research done on nutrition in Fontaine patients is typically done in babies or children between Fontan surgeries. 
I'll share a little bit of these findings for those of you who may have recently had a CHD diagnosis or who are currently going through some of your surgeries. Typically, babies born with single ventricle heart defects have a low birth weight or tend to lose weight after they're born. Feeding can be very strenuous for these kiddos. It's basically the equivalent to our kind of exercise. On top of that, the body has to expend lots of extra energy to compensate for the fact that the cardiac circulation is not working properly. During this time, it's important to ensure that patients are getting adequate caloric intake. Obviously, surgery is very hard on the body, and somebody going into surgery needs to have a good nutritional status to ensure good recovery and healing. Nutrition and dietary habits during this time are highly individualized and can really depend across the board. It's important to be working closely with your doctor and maybe even a registered dietitian or nutritionist to make sure that your child is getting the adequate amount of intake. Some care centers and programs may opt for enteral feeding or ways to make sure that food is delivered into the stomach regardless of whether or not the child is actually eating. I know of some children who during this time have needed an NG tube or a nasogastric tube that delivers food through their nose into their stomach. Some programs will even opt for a G-tube or a gastrostomy tube in which food can be delivered through the skin into the stomach. This, of course, would require a surgical procedure to install this type of conduit. Some of these measures may seem extreme or scary, but again, it is so important to ensure that every child has enough calories to rebuild and heal from their surgeries. I'm not going to offer more specifics or explanations during this time just because, again, this is such a highly specific and individualized process. After surgeries and when children start to grow and gain weight again in a more regular pattern, it's important to start considering food choices that will promote health down the road. As I've mentioned before, with so many patients now reaching adulthood, we must start to consider other diseases and processes that can occur while we age. Some of the major conditions that we want to prevent from development in CHD or Fontan patients include high blood pressure and coronary artery disease. High blood pressure can cause stress on the heart. If you can imagine, the heart has to pump extra hard to overcome all the pressure in the vessels. High blood pressure can be caused by a number of different things, but we have seen links between increased salt intake, processed foods, smoking, drinking alcohol, being overweight or carrying extra pounds, and not exercising enough. Coronary artery disease is a condition in which plaques of cholesterol collect in the vessels supplying the heart muscle. Sometimes these can lay dormant and not cause many problems. However, when these plaques become inflamed or unstable, they can sometimes rupture and cause what we call a heart attack or a myocardial infarction. These plaques can also occur in the peripheral vessels of our body as well. If you can imagine, to have a heart attack as a Fontan patient would be pretty devastating and concerning. We don't want anything that would compromise the integrity of our heart muscle or the performance of our heart. 
Cancer is another condition that we certainly want to prevent in Fontan patients. There have been some studies and research that might point to a slightly increased risk of cancer, just due to all the imaging and radiation that Fontan patients may be exposed to. While cancer, again, is very multifactorial in nature, it has been linked in the past to things like meat consumption and processed foods, as well as smoking and alcohol. While some of these things do have genetic components to them, we still have a lot of control over our health and how we treat our bodies. Starting in high school, I became very interested in nutrition and how to eat well to fuel my body for a long life. I've read and done a lot of research and have a few authors that I've really enjoyed learning from over the years. It's important to note that these sources are not Fontan or CHD specific. In fact, when I tried to do some research about nutrition in Fontan patients, there's very little resources or information available. However, I think many of these things can be applied generally to a lot of different patient populations. If you're interested in where I've gotten some of my information or in learning more for yourself, I would highly recommend checking out two authors in particular, Dr. Joel Furman and Dr. Michael Greger. Both of these doctors have done extensive research in the area of health, nutrition, and eating well. They have lots of books and resources that I found to be very interesting. And even if I may not 100% agree with them on everything, or may not follow all of their recommendations to a T, I think they have some pretty good insights in ways that we can improve our health and live a long life. I'm going to share with you a few kind of major takeaways and things that I think are important for really anyone to adopt into their lifestyle and their ways of eating. I want to emphasize the fact that I don't diet or I don't really promote dieting for quick weight loss or things like that. Instead, I try to adopt eating habits that I will really maintain over the rest of my life. These practices, I think, are easy to put in place when you think of them long term. And that doesn't mean that you can never eat ice cream again or never go out for a fancy dinner somewhere. But it's just more of the general things that we choose to reach for every week when we go grocery shopping and when we fill our fridges and pantries. So to begin, when it comes to heart health and preventing diseases, I think one of the most important things everyone can adopt, first and foremost, is increased intake of fruits and vegetables. I know this sounds like common sense, and we've heard it maybe even from childhood, but fruits and vegetables really are absolutely amazing foods in the ways that they can support our health and fight inflammation in our bodies. Whenever we consume food and our body begins to break it down, Compounds called free radicals are formed. These free radicals are essentially unpaired electrons that can cause damage to our DNA, our cells, and other structures in our body. While our body does have a lot of defense mechanisms against this, fruits and vegetables come naturally packaged with things called antioxidants, which help neutralize these free radicals in our body. Antioxidants are amazing because they decrease inflammation in our body, prevent damage to our DNA that could lead to cancer down the road, and prevent damage to our blood vessels, which could lead to coronary artery disease. Fruits and vegetables are also amazing because they are very nutrient-dense, but tend to be lower in calories, 
so we can eat a lot of these without worrying about putting on extra weight. And the fiber content in a lot of especially vegetables can help make us feel pretty full. Some superstars in this group of foods includes leafy greens, which have been linked to decreased risk of cancer and cardiovascular disease, things like onions and garlic, which can again decrease risk of certain cancers as well as prevent blood clots. Within the category of fruit, berries like blueberries, raspberries, strawberries have some of the highest antioxidant contents, making them awesome anti-inflammation agents. One small caveat I do want to make in this section is for those of you who might be on warfarin or coumadin and who may be considering adding more vegetables or leafy greens to their diet, it's important to consult with your cardiologist first. These leafy greens have a high vitamin K level in them, which can interfere with how warfarin works. As long as your intake is stable, you should be able to adjust your dose of medication accordingly to ensure that your anticoagulation level remains at a therapeutic level. Another food group that has some pretty similar benefits to fruits and vegetables are beans and legumes. Beans can include things like black beans, pinto beans, kidney beans, the list goes on and on. Legumes can include things like lentils, chickpeas, and even green peas, and many more. These foods are rich in fiber and resistant starch, which can help lower blood glucose and prevent the development of diabetes. They also are great at keeping a healthy blood pressure and lowering our cholesterol levels to prevent against heart disease. While they can sometimes cause some bloating or stomach discomfort, regular consumption of these foods can actually nourish our microbiome and create healthier digestion in the long run. One final food group that again can be very beneficial in preventing these health conditions from occurring are whole grains. Examples include steel-cut oats, barley, brown rice, and more. The less refined the grain is, the better. These are rich in fiber, which help keep us full, can lower blood glucose spikes, and can again lower our blood pressures. In addition to adding all of these amazing foods to our usual diet, it's important to decrease or limit our intake of certain foods as well. First and foremost, it's important to try to avoid large amounts of processed foods. This can include prepackaged snack foods, cereals, candy, chocolates, cheeses, and essentially anything you might buy from your grocery store that has a really long list of ingredients that you can't necessarily read or understand. Processed foods are processed, which means they take a lot of the whole raw foods that we would typically eat and condense them down into treats and snacks that have a lot less nutritional benefit than they did in their original forms. This means, first and foremost, that a lot of these snacks can be pretty high in calories and pretty low in nutrients. This is kind of the opposite from fruit and vegetables, which might be lower in calories, but have high nutrient density. 
Furthermore, because these foods are processed, they have less fiber in them. Fiber is a natural bulking agent that helps us feel full. When there is less fiber in foods, we tend to feel hungrier afterwards and want to eat more. Add that with the added sugar spike from some of these snacks and you can be feeling hungrier later on and less satisfied with what you ate, even if it had a lot more calories in it than say a healthy fruit or vegetable snack. Along with these things to consider, processed foods typically can increase the inflammation in our bodies. This happens, one, because a lot of processed foods don't really contain any antioxidants. They also contain a lot of processed oils and things that can raise our cholesterol level and can cause more oxidative damage in our body as we try to digest and break down these compounds. A lot of times these processed foods have lots of extra sugar and salt, which can increase our blood pressure and risk for diabetes down the road. For some of us, it might be really hard to stay completely away from these prepackaged products, especially if you're busy or on the run, or maybe you have kids that really are picky eaters and only have a few things they really like. But I think it's important to be aware of some of the risks that can come along with consuming a lot of these foods. I know for me, I still need a protein bar or something to grab and go when I'm working long hours, but I try to always temper this with offering myself a piece of fruit or a vegetable before I eat some of these more processed snacks. I find that I feel full and more satisfied when I'm eating foods that are in more of their raw, original format instead of these processed foods. I also try to make sure that I'm checking some of the labels of my food in the grocery store before I buy them. Some processed foods are worse than others, and by looking at some of the sugar content and ingredients, I can try to make more educated decisions about what foods I'm willing to put in my body and what foods I might pass on. The final major takeaway I want to talk about is meat consumption. I know meat consumption has been a hot topic for many years. Some studies have shown an increased risk of cancer and heart disease associated with meat, especially red meats. I will say that I personally have chosen to stop eating meat since college. This was more just due to my own personal preferences. I never was a huge fan of meat growing up, so when I went to college, I was kind of able to make my own decisions and decided that meat just really wasn't for me anymore. However, I know plenty of people who are very healthy and have a pretty consistent intake of meat. For some people, they feel like that is a way that can really help them stay full and get adequate protein in their diet. I want to challenge everyone to see if maybe they could substitute a meal or two a week with something more vegetable-based than meat. Like we said, There have been studies that have shown that there is an increased risk of cancer and coronary artery disease when there is an increased meat intake. Like processed food, meat does not contain any of the antioxidants we find in fruits and vegetables. This means there's no added help to the body when it's trying to neutralize these free radicals created by meat. Furthermore, When we heat meat at high temperatures with oils, 
we can generate aromatic compounds that may be carcinogenic or lead to cancer down the road. Baking meat or cooking meat at lower temperatures with less oil can mitigate these effects to a certain degree. I will note that meat is an important source of iron. Iron found in meat is iron in the heme form, which means it's essentially iron attached to heme groups found in blood. This type of iron is very easy for our bodies to extract and absorb. For patients with Fontan physiology, it's very important that we have adequate iron intake to maintain our hemoglobin levels so we can deliver oxygen adequately to the rest of our body. When we have anemia or lower iron stores, this can make us feel weak and it makes our body less efficient at delivering oxygen. I will note though, meat is not the only source of iron. We can still get iron from seeds, nuts, and leafy greens. However, this type of iron is not in the heme form, meaning it's a little bit more difficult for the body to extract and absorb. For those of you who are considering giving up meat or maybe don't have a lot of meat in your diet, make sure that your cardiologist is monitoring your hemoglobin and iron levels. While we can do a pretty good job with a plant-based diet, some people might need an iron supplement just to boost their iron stores and ensure that their body is working as efficiently as possible. I realized that was a lot of different information about foods. Some of you might have already been aware of some of these things. Some of you may disagree with some of the advice or things that I offer in this podcast, and that's okay too. I think to summarize, every single person, regardless of whether or not they have single ventricle, would really benefit from increasing fruit and vegetable intake, adding some beans and legumes to their diet, and decreasing the amount of processed foods and meats that are eaten on a daily basis. This again is especially important for Fontan patients whose system would be extra sensitive to diseases developing down the road like high blood pressure, cancer, and coronary artery disease. For some people, these changes may not feel feasible or doable right now, and that's okay. There's a lot of considerations that go into buying food like price, availability, shelf life, and more. It's important for you to make decisions that are not only right for your body, but also realistic for your life. I offer you this information just to show that while there are a lot of things we cannot control in the world of CHD, there are still ways that we can care for our body to prevent diseases down the road and promote healthy living for a lifetime. Before I end this podcast, I must mention this one final caveat. While eating healthy is very important and maintaining a lower body weight has shown to have many health benefits, it's important that we are still getting adequate caloric intake. Eating disorders and restrictive food behaviors can affect anyone from any walk of life with any medical background. Even for those people with healthy circulations and living without single ventricle, restrictive diets and very low calorie intake can cause some major damage on the heart. 
as the body tries to find other sources of calories, it starts to break down muscle. And this includes the heart muscle. You can imagine that this will be incredibly dangerous for anyone, but especially for someone living with single ventricle heart disease. On top of the muscle degradation, restrictive food intake or decreased calories can lead to electrolyte abnormalities, which may cause arrhythmias or very slow heart rates. If you or someone you know are struggling with an eating disorder or are having a hard time eating enough food, I strongly encourage you to seek help. I know these things can be very difficult and painful to address, but it is so important for your heart health and your mental health to make sure that you are adequately caring for yourself. It is my hope that every Fontan patient or individual living with CHD will learn how to make healthy decisions to fuel their body and optimize their health for a lifetime. We now have the technology and the capabilities to survive past childhood. So let's celebrate this life that has been given to us and do what we can to continue caring for our bodies. I hope when I'm a physician that I will be able to continue this research in the area of Fontan patients and nutrition. Like I mentioned before, I was surprised by how little I was able to find about nutrition for adult Fontan patients. And I'm hoping that this body of research continues to grow so we can make more wise decisions with our health and life. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fontan with a Future podcast. My name is Taylor, and I hope you will join me next week to hear more about CHD. If you want to reach out or learn more, follow me at Fontaine with the Future on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again. Hope to have you listening next week.